Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors. We're so glad that you're with us today, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. Hey, if you're a guest with us, we're honored that you're with us. I always invite our guests to come back three times. Everybody say three times. And here's why, is I know that when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience in the first experience. And let me tell you, church right now is a little weird because, you know, we're transitioning back into normal. We're transitioning back into, so like half our seats are, are taken out. You know, we have like every other row as best we can do it. We're trying to limit space and trying to limit capacity because people are coming back. But, you know, how many of y'all know uh, we have to walk this thing out safely? Everybody say safely. And so we're doing that the best we can. And so, hey, we want to welcome everybody who's watching online as well. We're so glad that you're with us. You are a part of our spiritual family and can't wait till you feel comfortable to come back. Just know there is a seat open for you. And so we're so glad that you're with us. Uh, we are in the middle of a series, really starting a series today called The Dog Days of summer. And so if you're watching online, we'd love for you to hit that share button or like it, comment, be a part of the conversation online. And then if you're in here, would you just take out your phone and let everybody know that you're, you can check in on Facebook or text someone and say, you should be in church because I'm in church. So let people know, hey, church is a big deal uh, because we're, we're really doing something great here. And so again, we are starting the dog days of summer. And the reason we're doing this series is because, man, I, I just know that, you know, summertime can be hard. And nowadays, because it seems like because our kids were all at home with us. How many of y'all already, your kids are already over it. Like they already have cabin fever. And so my kids are climbing all over the walls and we just started summer. And so I feel like, man, we need to talk about how to stay spiritually connected. Like how do you, how do you grow in a summer that's really, really odd? It's right full of tension. It's full of many, many issues. There's safety issues and racial issues. There's so many things going on. And so, man, I just wanted to talk about God's word today. And so if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 24 is where we're going to be. Genesis chapter 24. And uh, I love the Bible. Um, if you don't know anything about the Bible, Bible is a not one book; it's a collection of books. And um, I teach out of all over the place. I we just actually went through a whole New Testament study inside of Matthew uh, of really Jesus' teachings on where we really the, the Sermon on the Mount. And he started off with the Beatitudes. We talked about happiness. And so I like to kind of jump around. And so I'm in the new. We were in the New Testament forever. Now we're in the Old Testament, and we're in Genesis chapter 24. If you don't know where Genesis is, then you're really new to Bible. And so because it's the very first book in the Bible, it's like the easiest one to find. So now you know. And uh, Genesis chapter 24 is where we are. Before we get there, I want to give you some context. Um, the particular story that we're talking about today is uh, gonna, we're going to have four characters, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Rebecca, and Eleazar. Now, the story sets out to where Abraham is toward the end of his life. When we pick it up, he's kind of getting towards the end of his life, and he has a concern because his son Isaac doesn't have a wife. Now, how many of y'all know like that? that's going to be a concern? They used to live a long time in those days, so that meant it been a lot of years where Isaac didn't have no wife, and he knows his time is coming to an end, and he's got to do everything he can to get his, his son a wife. Like It's important because how many of y'all know like guys without themselves is not a good thing? We, we know that. You know that. That's clear. So his mandate right now is to help Isaac find a wife. So he goes to Eleazar, who is his kind of number two in command, really his chief of staff, runs his entire, uh, you know, his entire family. And he tells him, I need you to go to Mesopotamia, which is a nearby city, so that you can find Isaac a wife. And so Eleazar says, no problem, bet, I got you, it's time to go. So he gets a bunch of people, he gets together, he takes his entourage, and he gets right outside the city to a watering hole, and he stops, and he gets on his knees, and he prays a prayer of, it's almost like bargaining with God. Now, you and I don't do this, right, because... We don't do this, but he bargains with God and he says to God, he says, God, I'm going to go into this watering hole. And if the, if you're, if it's your will, he's like, I'm going to find my, my son, a wife. And here's how I'm going to find her. 
She's going to offer me a drink of water. And if she offers me a drink of water, I'll know, come on, that you're behind this. Now, you and I don't do this, right? We don't go to, you know, the mall and say, God, if you love me, you'd give me a front parking spot. You know, come on, ladies, princess parking and all that. But we do all these bargainings with God. This is a very familiar prayer that Eleazar has with God. And we pick it up in verse 15 in chapter 24. And he says this, before, everybody say before. This is so good. He said, before he had finished speaking, behold. Now, you guys got to read the Bible like I read the Bible. I read the Bible like a cinematic movie. Like, you know, I'm, I'm talking about like Michael Bay type level stuff, okay? Like over the top. I'm thinking at this point, behold, Rebecca means that time slowed down, right? That they looked up, behold, Rebecca, the, the director said cut. They brought the fog machine in behind her. They brought in the doves, released them. He said, action, the fog goes out. The doves fly behind her. It goes into slow motion. She does the girl traditional, come on, the customary hair flip. Come on, ladies. Y'all know how to do that. Do me, just humor me for a minute. Two seconds, one, two, three, flip your hair. Just flip, flip, you know, it gets us every time and makes us say, whoa, slow motion hair flip, behold, Rebecca. She comes out with her water jar, and the young woman was very attractive in appearance. You can go back. Very attractive in her appearance. A maiden who no man had known. It's awkward, okay. And then she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Verse 17 says, then the servant ran to meet her and said, this is Eliezer, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. Remember his deal with God. He said, I'm going to ask and whoever does it that's going to be the person for Isaac and she said drink my lord and she quickly laid down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink verse 19 says then when she had finished giving him a drink she said I will draw water for your camels also it's incredible by the way what she does until they had finished drinking and verse 20 says so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water and she drew water okay drew for all his camels everybody say all that's a lot, okay? She drew the rest of his camp. And then this is what happens. Anytime, you know, like I said, remember, they were beholden to Rebecca, and the men gazed at her in silence like, what just happened? This is amazing. And so with that as our backdrop, um, we're going to, uh, if you're taking notes, I hope you are, uh, our notes for our message today is simply this, positioned for blessing, positioned for blessing. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you, God. Thank you that we're here and God, we're here to honor you and lift you up, and I'm honored that, that we get to speak in this time. And every time I walk on this platform and speak your word, God, it's a, it's a privilege. And I pray that I would be clear in my message, that your message would go into the hearts of people. We would walk out of your change different and transformed in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. How many of y'all ever been to a museum? Raise your hand if y'all been to a museum, all right? Y'all been to a museum. Some of you have been to a museum. When you go to a museum, uh, I've been to several of them throughout the country. I love them. I like history. I like looking at, you know, different pieces of art. I, I, I like different sculptures. You know, I like even the natural history. I like, you know, dinosaurs. And I like all the bones. And I like all the artifacts. I like all that kind of stuff. And, and one time I went to a, a museum in California. That's where I'm from. And I was going with my wife. We were going on a date. And I looked around in the museum. And have you ever noticed that there's a lot of different kinds of people? in a museum. There are the casual goers, what I call the casual people. There are the people that, these, these are the type of people that just go because, you know, they wanted to get out and try something new. This could be the, the, the school, you know, field trip where they got a bunch of kids running around. You know, they're doing little, little field trip science projects. Or maybe it's the, the date, you know, the guy went on the date with the girl to the art museum. And, you know, you know come on, guys, y'all remember what you used to do for your lady before you married her, right? You know, you went all to the thing. Now you don't do any of that. But like before you did it, 
and you would go out, and so you see the guys. But then I noticed when I was there, uh, I noticed there was another type of person that went there, and what's what I like to call the connoisseur. It was a museum connoisseur. It was the person that had the monthly membership to the museum, and they went all the time. They did studies on the paintings. They knew about the artists. They knew about the techniques. They knew about the background. Come on. They knew about how it came about. They went, and, and they always looked like this. This is how they're, they have a typical look at the museum. And it's, they always lean. They grab their chin, right? And they're staring at the museum painting for long periods of time. Now, I'm confused by that, naturally, because I'm not a museum connoisseur. I don't know a lot about what's going on. So I was curious, because I'm a curious person by nature, and I walked up to this guy that was, saw a connoisseur. I walked up to him, and I said, I'm going to ask this guy a question, because I want to know, like, what's this guy seeing? What are you looking at, you know? And so I stand next to him, and guys, we have guy code. Guys, you know what I'm talking about here. Guys, we have guys code. We don't really say hi. We say, what's up, with our head. We do the nod. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? We kind of get next to each other. We're too cool to say hi. We got to get next to him. We just, you know, sup. So I did the sup thing. We were sup. We supped. And so we, we, we talked, and we didn't, we didn't really talk, but we talked. And, and he was looking at it, and I leaned over, and I looked at him, and I asked him this question. I said, what are you looking at? And he looked at me. And he leaned back into me a little bit, kind of freaked me out. You know, I'm a little honest. So like, I didn't know who you were. He gets really close to me, and he kind of almost leans into my personal space. How many of y'all have personal space? You don't like to be, like, this is my personal space. Especially now, you know, like with COVID, you're like, my personal space became like, you know, all over, everywhere. So anyway, so you're, he leans into my personal and he goes, do you see it? And I was like, what? And he goes, do you, and he looks at me, and he, uh, Big eyes, do you? And he lowers his voice, very dramatic, very, very whispery. And he goes, do you? Do you see it? And at that point, I was a little freaked out, so I kind of went with him. I'm like, no, man, what are you, what are you talking about? And he goes, do you see the paintbrushes with the strokes and the colors? And you can tell that the intersection of light and dark inside of his soul as the colors came in when he had emotion driven behind. You can tell when he did it in this corner, corner he was mad. And when he was in this corner, he painted sad because it had sad brush. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's just a painting. But he, he was so deep. Come on. So deep into it. He had researched it enough, he had been around it enough that he saw it in a way that most people did not, okay? Now, silly story, but there's truth behind it. The Bible is an incredible work of art, and many people, oftentimes, this is just a painting you hang on the wall for decoration, some of you have it on your coffee table, and it's collecting dust. Some of you have it in a drawer next to your bed like the Gideons. You, some of you have it uh, in, a, in a closet, or it's somewhere in your life, but you don't really use it, and you don't go deep with it, and it do, you don't get anything from it because it's just another painting to you. It's just another piece of art. But there's so much depth inside Scripture that I wanted to introduce to you maybe even a way you could look at Scripture that I often do. I've been studying and preaching the Bible for almost 20 years. And, and what's interesting about Scripture is that it has so many layers. Scholars, um, one of the ways you can study the Bible is through a, a term called typology. Typology is this. Typology is the study of reoccurring themes inside Scripture. So because this is a Scripture book full of a bunch of books that are written by different artists over multiple periods, 
periods of time, you can actually study and find different types, they call it typology, and different themes throughout scripture to actually give you an idea of what God's really trying to do. So there's a bunch of stories inside the Bible, and then there's some overarching themes of what God's trying to do. One of them is found in this story about Abraham, Isaac, Eleazar, and Rebecca. And one of the themes is this. This is one of the themes. God the Father, with the help of the Holy Spirit, is setting up the union of his son, Jesus, and the bride, his church. So if you go back to read the entire Bible and you get to the end, you see that God, Jesus, comes back for his bride, which is the church. There's an incredible union. And then we party. I'm telling you, as a, there's even food, right? There's, it's it's going to be amazing. So this is a theme throughout the Bible, and God reveals himself through some of these stories. This particular story, most scholars believe, is one of those typology or one of those ways to read it. So one of them, most scholars believe Abraham is a type of God the Father. Again, we're talking about Abraham trying to set up a union between his son and his son's bride, like God the Father does. Uh, Isaac is a type of Jesus. That Jesus, In fact, in other parts of Isaac's life, he's operating up as a sacrifice for things he did not do and as an innocent person and he's, he's God asked him to be offered up as sacrifice that's kind of a different typology but that's one of them but Isaac is being set up Isaac is a type of son or Jesus to connect with his bride Eleazar is a type of Holy Spirit scholars believe because he is actually in help with God the Father he's sent out to help to prepare come on the church to prepare Re Rebecca for the union of his son Isaac come on are you seeing it and then Rebecca is a type of the church where she has been asked, will you enter into this union with Jesus? He wants to be with you. He's asking. He's standing at the door and knocking. Will you accept? Come on. You see what I'm saying? So there's a bunch of typology. It's super deep. And the great thing and the most amazing thing about Rebecca is the reason we read about her is because of this interaction. She's incredibly important to you and I, just so you know. The nation of Israel came from her son, Jacob. So if not for Rebecca, we wouldn't even read about her if she didn't have this interaction and didn't get this interaction right. The truth is we all want to be Rebecca because we all want to be blessed. But the real raw truth is we won't all be blessed. And I was like, man, this is an encouraging message from Pastor Aaron. Like, we're not all going to get blessed. But that's the truth. God loves us all independently and uniquely and unconditionally. But his blessing comes with conditions. If you don't do it his way, we can't expect his blessing. And I talk to people all the time. They're like, well, God didn't bless me. I'm like, well, how did you do it? Well, I did it my way. Do you see where the disconnect is? And oftentimes when we see people in need, this is important. When we see people in need, it's how what we, our response to that need typically determines our blessing from it. Not just theirs. And Rebecca responded to a need that was, she saw and she was blessed for it. So today I want to give us just teach maybe just a little bit about what I feel like the characteristic, maybe the most important characteristic Rebecca had when it came to positioning herself to be blessed. Because I want to be blessed in this life. You want to be blessed in life. It doesn't matter who you are, rich, uh, young, old, or old, old, or, you know, wh whether you're poor. It doesn't, matter. it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. You and I all want to be blessed, but we're all not going to be blessed, so we need to position ourselves for blessing. And I want to give you a characteristic that maybe you can have, that Rebecca had, that we can have in order to get that blessing. The characteristic today is being humble. I don't know if you've been on planet Earth recently, but this is an incredible time for us to be hum humble. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we're not at an excess of humility. We're at an excess of pride in the world.
Everybody's got it figured out. Have you noticed that? There's all kinds of problems in our world, and everybody's got it figured out. They know. They have all the stats. They have all the figures. They have all the facts. They know. And then they go on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and they let everybody know. Is Twitter even a thing anymore? So they, they let everybody know, and they let them know exactly that they figured this thing out. Pride has run incredibly rampant, and I believe this. I really believe this. I've been convicted in my heart, especially the last several weeks, that pride has gotten in the way of so many steps of blessing that God wants to do inside of our lives. We need to learn how to be humble. Rebecca was humble. Verse 17 says it like this. It says, then the servant ran to meet her again. Eleazar says, please give me a drink, a little drink of water from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down. That's important. Everybody say, let down. She said, let down her jar upon her hand and give and gave him a, a drink. She does something with incredible humility. This is an incredible stance of that. Here's why. Most scholars believe that Rebecca would have, been, would, would have come from wealthy family. And she would have come with, because of the wealthy family, she wouldn't have been traveling alone. She would have come with a bunch of people, an entourage, and she would have had servants to do and to, to respond and to actually fulfill the request of Eleazar. But she didn't. She didn't go, okay, I'll help you out. Hey, uh, Jethro, get over here. Hey, Kyle, come on. Hey, Stephen, let's go. She said, no problem. I will help you. I'm going to let down and step into your need so that I can actually fulfill the need. And she was blessed on the other side of it. Do you see it? She let down to help up. Come on. And in our world today, there are a lot of opportunities for us to let down to help up. And my question to you would be is, are you doing that? Like, are, we complain about no blessing, but yet don't evaluate properly what we are doing in our life in order to receive the blessing. And she chose in that moment to step down, to let down out of her prestige, out of her money, out of her facts, out of her opinions, out of her Facebook posts, out of her statistics. Come on, out of her position. She stepped down out of it and actually helped someone who was in need. Now, I've taught about humility before. Most churches and preachers and pastors teach about humility, but rarely do we give practicalities on how to do it. Because I think most people would know, even if you're not a Christian, it's probably better to be humble than it is to be prideful. So today, in the time I have left, I want to share with you two ways you can actually be humble in your life. The first one is this, based on what Rebecca did, the first one is this, is to live as a servant. Is to live as a servant. Rebecca, period, bottom line, she served in the moment where she didn't have to. Jesus actually models this for us in John chapter 13. He has this moment with his disciples, the closest people to him. And he's kind of given one of the final lessons before he leaves this earth. And he does something so incredible that it almost, it shocks them. And it, it models for them what he was talking about on who we should be as Christians. And in verse 14, it shows us, it says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. I like what Jesus does because people get humility wrong. They think you have to be the scum of the earth. You don't have to be the scum of the earth or think of yourself as less than in order for you to be humble. It just means you're not the scum of the earth, but you're also not the center of the world either. It's that you have positioned yourself in spirit to be kind and to be generous and to be open-handed and to let down enough to serve others. So he models, he says, look, I'm your Lord and your teacher. I'm not the scum of the world. 
world. That's not what humility is. He says, I'm a big deal. I'm God on this earth, and now I'm washing your feet. You should wash another's feet. I like what he says. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. It wasn't a suggestion. It was saying, I am giving you an example. God performed a servant duty in order for us to understand that if God can do it, we can do it. That if God can be a servant, then I can be a servant. That if he can do it, and if he's modeling it for us, then I have no excuse. I have no excuse that Christian at the end of the day equals servant. Christian at the end of the day equals servant. So the question you have to ask yourself is where in your life, where in our lives can we be servants? Where in your job right now can you be a servant? Where, where with your kids? I'm telling you, as a parent, where can you be a servant? Where in your, in your, in your church can you be a, a servant? Where church was never designed in something that you go see. This isn't a spectacle or a sporting event. This is a family. In families, you come and participate. So where can you serve inside of your church? Where can you serve inside of your marriage? Come on. Where can you be a servant? Because the more you align yourself to a servant mentality and a servant characteristic, the more you're aligning yourself to a godly and Jesus-like characteristic and mentality. It's incredibly important. Rebecca modeled this for. Second way that we can be humble, the second way we can be humble as we kind of wrapping it up and getting, getting towards the end, is that we live with compassion. Is that we live with compassion. I'm talking about being humble so that we position ourselves for a blessing. I've just noticed that the most compassionate people are the most humble people. They walk hand in hand. And compassion for us in many ways, we get them confused in a lot of ways. We, we, we confuse them with, with multiple different words of what compassion really is. I want to define for you uh, what compassion is by what Peter mentioned to the church uh, and what we, we, we kind of consider today to be modern day Turkey. In First Peter, uh, he writes a letter uh, to this church and he kind of addresses different types of people. He addresses husbands and wives and kids. But he winds up getting to like this moment where he addresses every and in that time, scholars and historians and theologians believe that in that time, what was going on was is that there were Gentiles and there were Hebrew people. There were Gentiles and Jews, people who were trying to come together under the banner of Jesus Christ. And there was persecution on the Christians. There was persecution in race. They were having race issues. Hello. Just like we're having race issues, they were trying to figure out how to actually connect and get together and live in harmony. And they were trying to figure out how to deal with all of their issues, the social issues of the day. There was oppression. There was racism. There were problems. They were trying to figure out how to be Christians. And this is what Peter's response is to it. He says, finally. And anytime somebody says, finally, they're making a summary statement of what you should do. He says, finally, all of you, which I checked in the Greek. By the way, all means Oh, yeah, you're welcome. All right, so deep thoughts with Pastor Aaron. So finally, all of you, it's not some of you, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. I noticed that he doesn't say, make sure you have all your facts and then post it on Facebook. <laughs> hey, when you see a need, go back and double check all of the information. Make sure it aligns with your political party. Then make sure it aligns with your ideology. Then make sure it aligns with your family and your friends, which, by the way, most of social media is an echo chamber. You don't even know it. All you've done is curated a bunch of people who think like you and talk like you. Even Facebook recognizes it because their algorithm sends you people who think like you. 
And so you, before you know it, you've got it all figured out. And you have all the answers. And since you are, if you could just post it, then it'll change the world. How's it working out for you? Peter says, actually, you should live with love and you should live with compassion and sympathy and empathy and humility. Come on. Before you're anything in this world, you're a follower of Jesus. Before you're anything in this world, you're a follower of Jesus. Your identity is rooted in the blood of Jesus Christ. And Peter is petitioning you. He's reminding me and you that there's a pathway to compassion. Have you noticed that you can't be compassionate overnight? Like you don't just fall into compassion. There's a thing that leads you to compassion. Most psychologists would actually share with you, 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 you build to compassion. It starts, it's in Peter. It starts with being like-minded, unity, having unity of mind and unity of feeling. That's really what that word meant there in the Greek, which really closely aligns to empathy. He was saying, when you see a need and you see an issue, like Rebecca saw a need and saw an issue, you can do one of two things. You can acknowledge it or you can ignore it. I've noticed that most people make that decision based on their political bent, based on how they think or what their friends told them, or what their media told them, or whatever news station they told them, or whatever Twitter thing they feed they follow told them, but not what the Bible says to do. So he says, have empathy with the person that is in need, which means to be in, to recognize the need, recognize what other people are feeling. M, the prefix M in the English means in, path with the Greek word root meaning feelings that it meant that word empathy means to enter into the feeling, to do your best to actually enter into their feeling, not give them facts about why they feel. Elie, you know what Rebecca could have did? What most people in the world do right now, when they see a need, they see an issue, they see someone hurting, well, why didn't you prepare, Eliezer? You got servants. How come you didn't think about getting a drink of water? How come you didn't bring enough water? You know, the last time I checked, you should have brought water. That's what most people respond to. And he was saying, actually, Peter was saying, actually, you know what you should do? You should be unified and try to enter into their their, th their feeling, which moves you ultimately to sympathy. We're talking about the pathway to compassion. Sympathy is now with the, with, with the idea that now that you've entered into it, you're going to attempt to understand the feeling without even feeling it yourself. So now that you're into it with them, you're seeing their eyes, you're, you're seeing that they're feeling, and now I want to do the best I can to attempt to understand what you're feeling even though I don't feel it. That leads you ultimately to thinking differently and attempting to understand this, the prefix, English prefix for that is sim, meaning with. So now that you're not, now that you're in their feelings, you're with them in their feelings. So now it's not just something that they feel, it's now something you feel, and you're doing the best you can to learn, to experience, to look at their eyes and figure out what are you actually feeling, which should ultimately lead you, because Rebecca actually shows us that she did that by letting down and giving him a drink, which should ultimately lead you to a level of compassion. We're talking about the pathway to compassion, which is an action word and it is a verb. 
Because compassion was always driven from that. In fact, the Latin word for compassion is patty, which means to suffer with. And it means ultimately that those feelings that have prompted us to take action to, to ultimately relieve the suffering of others. That's why she went out of her way to not just, come on, give him a drink. She gave a drink to the camels. It led her to live a life of compassion that I'm now going to take action and not just feel. So I didn't ignore. I recognized. I entered into it. Now I'm with you. I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to learn what, how you got here, what you feel, and what your feelings are. And now I'm going to take action based on the compassion that I have because God himself is compassionate with us. And now I'm going to be compassionate with them so that we can now have a moment of feeling to grow in love towards others. Maybe a great example of this is the other day. I was, um, I noticed my wife, now, maybe this is different for your family. I have five kids, and they're all little, and, you know, my wife had to move from, like, stay-at-home mom with one kid to, like, stay-at-home mom with all five of them now, and now she's got to be a kid teacher to four of them, right, in all different ages and all different things, and I know that's your, a lot of everybody online and everybody in here, there's a lot of that from everybody, and how many of y'all know that was terrible? I've never met anybody, I have not, I've yet to meet a mom who was not a preschool or a homeschool mom before, but I have yet to meet a mom or family who said, man, that was the greatest thing in the world. Like, I'm so happy that I now have to memorize passwords and logins for 17 different things. Wigawats and Zuzulots and, hey, kid classrooms and Google classrooms and make sure everybody's on time. And you're, why are you screaming? And stop touching your brother. And now I got to buy computers. And now we got to do that. No one told me this was the greatest moment of their life as a mom and as a dad. In fact, I've heard it quite the opposite. So I saw my wife the other day and I'm like, babe. Man, you seem like you're a little flustered. She goes, you think? I was like, okay. <laughs> Hug <laughs> from a distance, social distancing. Anyway, so like I was like trying to, you know, help. And, and, and so I said, well, so I recognize, right? I'm trying to empathize. But babe, I don't know what you do. She had to run all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't know how that feels, but I want to understand. So I kind of sat down with her. I said, can you, can you tell me about your experience? Like what's going on and how I, she starts listing all of this stuff. And I'm like, man, I'm so sorry, babe. I just, I didn't know. Like I didn't know. And she's like, oh, she goes, well, now you know. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm sorry about that. And I said, well, what can we do? And it led me to, come on, you see what I'm saying? So I had empathy. I saw a need. And then I sat down. I sympathized. I tried to understand her need. Tried to learn, listen. Tell me your story. Tell me. And then, and then, and then well, here's what's cool. It ultimately led me to a moment of sympathy where I, or of compassion where I said, hey, babe, you need to, you know what, why don't you do? You want you get together with some of your lady friends and y'all go have a night out on the town. How many of y'all know the next night she was gone? <laughs> and she was out there. And she got some freedom. She got some relaxing time. She got some time away. And it, led, it led me to being more compassionate. And how many all know I was blessed on the other side of it? Amen, Jesus. Thank God for marriage. So anyway, I'm just saying at the end of the day, you and I can follow a pathway of compassion that it can ultimately lead us to blessing. Now, I'm going to close with this thought. I, I have been, um, my, my job, you know, somebody asked me, what do you do all day? You know, like... It's like, you know what's funny? It's like, you know, I think every time I talk to somebody about, like, my job, you know, as a pastor, they're like, you just, like, pray? Like, all day and just, like, read the Bible? Like, all day. Right? Like, what do you do? Like, I don't, what does a pastor do? And I was thinking about that. And I was like, you know, my, my primary job responsibility as a pastor my job every day of my life is to help influence the people in our church. I'm not the pastor of Facebook. I'm not the pastor of the world. I don't want to be. I, 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 don't, I'm, I'm, I have enough pastoring our people. I pastor this, this church, this flock. So I'm responsible for you. 
I'll stand before God for you. I will answer to the Lord Jesus for you and how I stewarded your life and your soul. Okay? I recognize that. My job, because of that responsibility, is to influence you to live your life based on this and nothing else. Like I'm letting the cat out of the bag. That's my job every day. I'm trying to, I'm not baiting and switching you. I want you to change the way you live and the way you make your decisions from selfish, based on political ideologies, based on how you grew up and what your mama and daddy told you, based on what your friends think, based on what social media says. All that is honestly fleeting. I want you to live your life influenced and based on the word of God. That's my whole, that's my whole job. Okay. Because of that, I have been convicted in my own heart at the state of our world. And because of that, we have, we have lost what it so much because it's so personal and everything in this world makes you, everything is a hyper button and it's emotional and you can't, the, the world has given you so many false dichotomies and so many things that you feel like you have to be in order to be a full Christian or in order to be a full whatever, to be a full American, you need to be this, to be a full this, you need to be this, to be a full that. And, and I think most of us would agree a lot of what we have to figure out is found in the messy middle of relationships. And when it comes to our world right now, it has given us an incredible opportunity to be humble. And I've just noticed very few people are. Everybody's prideful right now. Everybody has it figured out. Everybody knows what's right and what's wrong and has all the facts and statistics and figures with overlooking what your blessing is truly coming from. And so again, I'm not trying to pastor Facebook, but I am trying to pastor our people. So this is a little bit of a dad moment here. Can we be please, can we please be humble in this season and follow the Bible? Can we please, there's a whole segment of our population, a whole segment of our brothers and sisters who are African-American right now. I'm telling you, you need to hear this. Don't ignore me and don't erase it. There's a whole segment of our population, our family, that's hurting, that is in need. And I know you have it all figured out. I get it. And I know your media outlet and your news reporting has shown you exactly why. And we think that they don't have an agenda. All of them have an agenda. All of them have a root behind of what they're trying to do. Jesus has an agenda, and it's love. And in this moment, when there's somebody in need, will you please, can we please be empathetic and enter in and recognize a feeling and stop throwing facts and figures out and stop pretending like you know you don't. Just enter into it empty. I recognize you're hurting. That should lead us to sympathy. Where now we don't even rec- we not only recognize it, we didn't ignore it, we recognized it. Now we, we move into sympathy to try to suffer with them and understand, which means you and I should be learning right now. We should be talking right now. I have cried more tears in the last few weeks with people from our friends of mine who are African American, people I've never even understood. I still don't understand because I'm not an African American. I don't know. And I've cried with them. I've lost all my tears. I've lost. I don't. 
And I'm trying to learn, I'm reading, I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm praying, can we be like that? Can we just be sympathetic for a moment in time? Because they were made in the image and likeness of God, they have the fingerprint and the thumbprint and the DNA of our Lord and Savior. And it matters how we treat them. In this moment, And that maybe it could lead us to compassion. To taking a step of action. Because it might not matter to you until it matters to you. And everything has been politicized. And everything has made you divide. And, and I, I, I believe, I believe that, that Jesus does have the answers for this, but he's going to work through you. So stop posting on Facebook, please. Some of you need to turn it off. I, I got to be honest with you. I, I just walked. I, I'm not. I, I, I turned it off. I can't. I can't. It's too much. You've polluted your heart. You don't stand enough. We don't spend enough time with Jesus. You spend too much time with people who think they've got it all figured out. And then you wonder why we're prideful. And again, I'm not in charge of the world. I'm not a pastor of the world, but I stand before God, and I want to be able to say that I stood up and preached his word and was humble about it and repented where I needed to repent. And we need to learn right now. Some of us need to meet and connect with someone that doesn't look like you and ask him what it feels like. We need to read about it. You need to go into history and watch a documentary. You need to walk up. You need to read about it. You need to feel it. Don't ignore it. It's a big deal. That could lead us to a moment of compassion. Here's why. Because it could be the breaking point for your blessing. Because the funny thing about it is, is anytime you enter into that, you think you're helping them. You ever notice? But what's funny? You wind up helping you. Why? Because humility postures you down. It lets down. We could be like Rebecca, see a need. We can let down our pride and go, man, I'm going to enter into this with you. I don't even understand but I want to stand with you. I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. And we should ask ourselves this question today. What is the action step you can take as a person of faith? You can take as a person of faith in our current climate today. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for our church.